Let's pray. Lord, as she was singing that song in the choir and orchestra, for the first time I ever thought, so many times in the Christian life, we hear those two words put together, precious blood. I thought, how odd that sounds, because outside of the church, we probably don't link the words precious and blood. Most of us, Lord, would probably prefer not to see blood. may even make us queasy. Lord, I pray we do realize that in blood is life. Without that blood, there is no life. And I pray there'd be a growing understanding in our life of, as was just sung, not just any blood, but the, the precious blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And that blood is my life, eternal life, the forgiveness of sins, the washing away of guilt. And that blood is my opportunity to be made holy. My opportunity to walk into and enjoy the presence of God. Lord, I don't believe we possess a greater treasure in our lives than the blood of Jesus Christ. I would also guess very few of us thought about how great that treasure was in this past week. Oh Lord, I thank you for the opportunity here just for a moment to think afresh about what you've done for us, what it means to our lives. May it change this week. May it change how we deal with things, how we view things. May it change how we live and act. Because that blood is precious. It's a precious treasure for our lives. And we possess it, not because of our worth, but because of your grace. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray this. Amen. Amen. I'm sure you're familiar with uh, William Shakespeare and all of his plays and sonnets and whatnot. William Shakespeare gave us a lot of different lines, a lot of great lines, quotable lines, and certainly one of those is, a rose by any other name, still a rose. The meaning of the line is, the name is not what makes it what it is. Uh, when you have a rose, it smells the same, its beauty is the same, and it's worth to the one you give it to is the same, regardless of what its, what its name is. There's not that much in a name. If you think about it, that kind of makes sense. But it wouldn't make sense to a Hebrew. I'm guessing William Shakespeare was not a Hebrew. I don't think that takes much of a guess. But to the Hebrew mind, to the Jewish mind, everything was in a name. There was not hardly anything more significant than a person's name. And all throughout the Bible, God reveals himself in his names. And in those names are rich truths for our everyday living. You know, we walk through the Bible and we see so much related to that word name. You know, right there in the very opening chapters of the Bible, the first task, the first assignment of Adam is to name the animals, and in that naming, he is expressing his God-given authority over the earth and over the animals. We go through the Bible and we see children named with prophetic names. And some of the names are awful. I'd hate to have been the child that got stuck with that. But that name was to communicate something, was to prophesy something to the entire nation. We see God renaming people. He names Abram to Abraham, Jacob to Israel. 
And of course, as we come into the New Testament, you and I are given this great power to pray. How? In the name of Jesus. Names are extremely significant as we walk through Scripture. As a matter of fact, God gives us what we call ten great commandments. And one of those commands deals with what? How we treat His name. How we respect and revere His name. Now, if we're going to respect it, if we're going to revere it, if we're going to understand what is there for us in it, doesn't that mean we're going to know what they are? We're going to know what names God is. We're going to know how He has revealed those names. We're going to study them and use them as God has given us the opportunity. So as we come today to, to study the names of God, we come to learn better how to honor Him. We want to study those names to honor Him. We want to study those names to praise Him. Psalm 8.1 says that the, the majesty of the name of the Lord is throughout all the earth. Folks, when you study God's name, you see His greatness and His power and His characteristics. I think using these names kind of freshens and enlivens your own time of praise and worship. So we learn these names to praise Him. And we learn these names because our life depends upon them. We've sang about that this morning in, in one of our worship songs. There's salvation in no other name but the name of Jesus. The Bible says that the name of the Lord is a strong tower and we run to it. That's where we're rescued. That's where we are protected. That's where we're saved. In the name of the Lord, there is healing. In the name of the Lord, there is comfort. As I've said, God has much for us in his names. Now we're continuing today our study of, of theology. That, and we're doing that through these 20 what is questions. We have answered the first question, what is the Bible? And these last, uh, last week and then today we're taking two Sundays on what is God like? Last week we looked at his attributes, today his names. And next week we're going to come back and look at what is the Trinity? We're going to try to take on that very difficult concept to understand. But today, His names. Now, you remember last week when we talked about the attributes of God, we said that we didn't research the names of the uh, attributes of God. We didn't discover those. We didn't find those, but rather they were revealed. God in His kindness, God in His grace revealed those and then gave us the capacity to understand that. Well, the same is true of his names. God revealed his names. We did not name God. As a matter of fact, to the Jewish mind, that actually would be blasphemous. It'd be blasphemy for them to think that we were or they were naming God. Why? Well, because of what I said just a moment ago. Remember what I said about Adam? Adam named the animals. That was an expression of his authority, his God-given authority. Naming gave authority. So the the Jewish mind would never see themselves naming God, but rather these names are revealed and they're revealed for us. Now, you'll notice in your in your bulletin today that I I put in there. And uh, by the way, don't get nervous. I'm not preaching on every one of these names this morning. Now, some of you after last week probably don't trust that. But but uh, yeah, I've put in here just a, a, a quick uh, little handout, something you can slide in your Bible and refer to the different names of God see the passages that they are and study them. And, and you see there's some, some brief meanings of each of those. The goal of today is that we learn and that we use these names. Now, what I want to do today is just try to highlight and hit a couple of these and expand on them just a little bit. We'll start with Elohim. 
Elohim is the general name of God, and it simply means God. It, it is the English word God. It can refer to the real God, the one true God. And in, in the English language, of course, we make it a little g, and it refers then to a false God or a not true God. Elohim is used primarily of the one true God. As a matter of fact, that name is used over 2,500 times in the Old Testament. 2,300 of them are in reference to the one true God. That word Elohim means the strong one. It's a reference to strength. That is the first name of God we see. That's what we see in Genesis 1.1 when it says, In the beginning, Elohim. In the beginning, the strong one. And that name is in a plural form. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? That it would be literally, if you were to translate it literally, it would be in the beginning, God's. That sounds kind of odd to us. Some theologians say that that's leaving room, that that's preparing away for the, the revelation of the Trinity because clearly throughout the Bible we, we do not believe in multiple gods. We believe there is one God and yet they put this in plural form. It certainly could be leaving room and preparing room for the expression of the Trinity. But really what was happening here, I think, is, is basic Hebrew grammar. In, in Hebrew grammar, they tended to put a, a plural on anything that was grand, that was majestic, that was bigger than you could get your arms around. If it was something that couldn't be contained, then you put it in the plural form. And, and they put it in the plural form by adding I am. In English, we add S, they added I am. So like in, in the English language, we have a singular and a plural for the word water. We can say water or waters. In the Hebrew, you can't do that. In the Hebrew, it's just mayim, waters. All water is waters. We have a singular and a plural for sky. We can say sky or skies. In the Hebrew language, it's just shamayim. It's always plural because you can't contain the sky. Well, the, the Jews in their grammar here were saying, you can't contain God. You, you can't possess God. You can't bundle up God. And so that's why they put it in its plural form. Now, from this name, we get a lot of compound names. God or, or the scripture will take this Elohim and it'll take El, the first part of that name, and it'll attach other descriptive things where God is describing, as we looked at last week, his attributes and his characters. And so we get a name like El Shaddai. Remember that, that song that Amy Grant made popular? Gosh, can you believe decades ago now? Uh, El Shaddai. That word Shaddai comes from a, a word probably meaning mountain. And, and so you've got the strong one on the mountain. Now, here's what's cool about that name. That name is most often used when God was revealing himself to the patriarchs. And especially when he was talking about his covenant. Well, what, what's a covenant? A covenant is a promise. I mean, it, it's like a promise on steroids. And this, is, this is a blood-bought promise. And so as God is making these promises to these patriarchs, who's the one making that promise? The strong one on the mountain. And folks, when you look throughout creation, what has a, a, a bigger, more permanent look in creation than a mountain? It, it's grand. It's big. It's permanent. And so God links these two terms. The strong one on the mountain. That's the permanency. That's the strength of this promise that I'm making to you. Another name we get uh, in the Old Testament is El Elyon. This is the Most High. That's a great name to use in prayer, isn't it? I am praying to, I am talking to the Most High. 
You know why that's important? Have you ever been on the phone and had this conversation? Could I talk to somebody in charge? Could I get a supervisor? You know, usually when we ask that on the phone or at the department store, we're at that point, we're pretty frustrated, aren't we? Y'all should know what I'm talking about because you've all done it somewhere in the course of life. You say, I want a manager. You're saying, I'm frustrated. I'm done dealing with this. I need somebody with authority. I need somebody that can make a decision. I need somebody that can do something. Folks, when you pray to El Elyon, you're at the top. You're as high as the decision making in all of the universe goes. You're as high as the authority goes. Man, when you get to El Elyon, you can relax. You've got the ear of all the authority that there is in the universe. We've got El Olom. This is the everlasting God, and it, it draws in two of his attributes that we looked at last week. Remember last week we talked about the eternal nature of God. As far forward, as far backward as you go, there is God. And we also referred, remember, his immutability. He's unchanging. He's not unchanging because he can't grow. He's not unchanging because he can't develop. He's unchanging because he's perfect. Per perfect can't advance to being more perfect. And, and when we pray to El Alom, we know we are praying to the God who has always been and who always will be. When I pray to El Alom, I'm praying to the exact same God that Moses met in the burning bush. When I praise and I pray to El Elom, I am praying and praising to the exact same God, exact in his nature and his character that David prayed to and wrote those psalms when he was out on the hillside. When I, when I spend time with El Elom, I am spending time with the exact same God that stood up in that boat with those disciples around him and just spoke and the storm stopped. With El alone, we are reminded that God is exactly the same. The same God of the Bible is the same God we worship right now. Another name for God, El Roy. You got to say that with a Hebrew guttural. It sounds like a southern name for God. Okay? His name's not El Roy. Hey, El Roy. No, it's El Roy. Now, I've been trying to leave the Hebrew guttural out, but on that one, I think it's important. <laughs> this is Elroy is very simple. This is God who sees. But, but with that statement, the God who sees is the implication is the God who cares. He sees and he cares. But you see how that can be used in prayer? Hey, God, I understand that you've revealed yourself as Elroy, the God who sees. Man, Lord, in that situation, I need to know you see. God, this week, I need to know in that relationship, you see, you see what's going on and you care what's going on. You see how these names can become a part of our prayer life. So we've got Elohim, the general name for God. And of course, the scripture also introduces us to a more specific, a more personal name of God. That's the name that God revealed to Moses at the burning bush. And that's Yahweh, Yahweh. That is the personal specific name of God it is translated Lord it is the most used name for God throughout the New Testament used over 5300 times this is how God is referred to and from that name Yahweh you get to and I hate to use this because it sounds so informal and so trite but uh, uh, for lack of a better word you get two nicknames you, you get two names that are derivatives of Yahweh and that is Adonai and Jehovah, 
Both of those names come right out of, they mean the same, and they come out of that name Yahweh. And that name Yahweh means, basically, is referring to his self-existence. It's translated in Scripture as I am. Remember we talked about last week in God's eternal and infinite nature. Wherever you go in time, wherever you go in space, God can say, I am. I mean, there's, there's nothing else in all of creation that is I am everywhere, every time, all of the time. But God can. Yahweh can. He is self-existent. A- another name that comes out of that really Yahweh means. I love this one. He's the uncaused cause. He is the uncaused cause. Folks, you realize everything we see from the microscope to the telescope, everything we observe has a cause. And whatever caused that, it has a cause. Well, if you trace all of those causes all the way back, guess where you end up? The uncaused cause. Yahweh. Yahweh, the Lord. Now, from this name, we also get some great Compound names like Yahweh Jireh, Yahweh Jireh. That means the Lord provides this name comes to us when you might remember the story when God has commanded uh, Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac and and Abraham and Isaac travel up Mount Moriah and they get up to the top there and and ready to sacrifice his own son. And God quickly stops him and says, I will never have you sacrifice your children, makes that clear all the way throughout Scripture that will never be called to make that kind of sacrifice. But a sacrifice was still needed to be made. And looks who provides the sacrifice. God. He provides a ram. Folks, you realize when we give something to God, He provided it. The sacrifice, the ability comes from Him. The Lord provides. And while He said, I would never have you sacrifice your son, look who ultimately did sacrifice His son. Folks, you realize when you and I look at the cross, we are looking at Yahweh Jireh. The Lord provides. At that cross, my eternal life is provided. At that cross, my forgiveness is provided. At that cross, my holiness is provided. Everything I need is provided there at Yahweh Jireh. Another great name of God, Yahweh Nissi. Yahweh Nissi, the Lord is my banner. Under that banner, under that flag, we have our rallying point. You know, since 9-11, We've become a lot more patriotic around our flag or it kind of renewed in us a, a patriotism toward our flag. I was running the, uh, the Monument 10K yesterday and right before the start of the race they had this massive crane at the starting line and the flag was hanging down. Of course, they stopped and sang the, the national anthem. And I, I mean, I just looked around and realized there's 32,000 people here and we're all united. We have all of our victory and unity under this flag right here. And it's under that same kind of expression that the Scripture says we look up and under the Lord, He's our banner. He's our victory. He's our unity. He is our rallying point. And this name comes to us from the story when Moses was standing up on a hill and the Israelites and the Amalekites were in battle below and and Moses held up the staff, not a flag, but but held up the the staff of God. And as long as he was holding that staff up in the air, the, the Israelites were winning. But, you know, if you hold your arms long enough up in the air, what happens? It's not science, folks. The blood all runs out and they drop. It gets tiring. But when he dropped, guess what started to happen? Israelites began to lose. 
And so the friends came up and they, they propped Moses' arms up so that he could hold that staff of God and the warriors could look up and see that staff and see that rallying point. Well, here again, folks, I take us back. There's still a staff of God we look up to. It's in the shape of the cross. And it's at that cross that we have our rallying point. It's at that cross that we have our victory. Under that cross is the work of God. The Lord is my banner. He's what I look up to and get, if you will, patriotic. Yahweh Nissi. We've got Yahweh Shalom. Probably can guess that one. Shalom. The Lord is my peace. Well, we look for peace in a lot of things, don't we? Mankind looks for peace in a bottle. We look for peace in drugs. We look for peace in money. We look in, in peace in, in certain situations. We look for something to say there's security. We look for something to say everything is going to be okay. I mean, isn't that generally what peace is? Everything is okay? Folks, there's nothing on this planet that can give that. No matter how good a relationship, no matter how good a job, no matter how much money, no matter how good the drugs, at best, it's temporary peace. At worst, it's a false, it's a lying peace. It's a peace that will steal from you in the end. There's one place, though, that all of future is secure. There's one place where all wrongs are going to be made right. There's one place where everything is okay. Yahweh Shalom. The Lord is my peace. There's Yahweh Sabot. Yahweh Sabot. This is a, a picture of God in a, in a military commander type figure. It literally means the Lord of hosts. He, he is the commander in chief of the angelic army. There's two prophets that like to use this name a lot. One of them we're studying in Bible fellowship right now. Isaiah and Jeremiah refer a lot, use the name a lot, the Lord of hosts, because the nation is being attacked much from without, from enemies. But the nation is also struggling with bad kings. And you think about folks, I mean, we're a nation. We know what politics is, and, and we struggle, and we got, you know, we've got foreign enemies, so then we go and say, who's our foreign allies and, and, and do we have good leaders? And these prophets try to remind us, don't trust in foreign allies. Don't trust in, in whether kings are good or bad. Trust in Yahweh Sabot. He's your leader. He is your protector, the Lord of hosts. And then one of my favorite ones. You've got to get a running start on this one. Where is it? It is uh, one, two, three, four, five, six down on the Yahweh side. Look at that name right there. It's not macadamia nuts. Okay, that is Yahweh Makadashem. I took two years of Hebrew and I'm about 30% chance I'm saying that right. Yahweh Makadashem, it means the Lord is my sanctifier. The Lord is the one who makes me holy. You remember last week when we looked at that attribute of God's holiness? And we said holiness is not just a separation from what is evil and wrong. Holiness is also a separation from, remember what? Neutral. Neutral's not holy. Neutral's not enough. Holiness is a complete and total separation to absolute purity. And we're not absolutely pure. We're not even close. And this is why ultimately God cannot bring us into a, a relationship with himself with our sin intact. It's not that he's being grumpy. It's not that he's saying, oh, you're not good enough. If God relates with, if God absorbs sinners, 
His purity is attacked. He's no longer holy. So we have no access to God unless a way is made for us to be holy. And we said last week that way was made. What's his name? Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, I have a way to be made holy so that I can relate with God. What I love about this name coming in where? Not the New Testament, but in the Old Testament. Folks, even though the Jews were under that God-given system of the laws and of the sacrifices, their faith was not in the law and in the sacrifices. They knew they could obey all of these rituals, obey all of these rules, and there's still a holiness issue. And even in the Old Testament, people say, how are people, when it says that we're saved by the name of Jesus alone, how did people in the Old Testament get saved? Because they trusted in God for their salvation. No different than you and I do. That's what they're trusting in when they say, Yahweh, Makadashem. If I'm going to be made holy, it's going to be because of what you do, God, not what I can do. I can never do that. We've got Yahweh Roy. Again, that name. That one comes from Psalm 23.1. Maybe one of the most well-known passages in all the Bible. The Lord is my shepherd. Boy, folks, think about again how you can use this name when you've got certain needs in your life. Man, you know, I need guidance. I need provision. I need to know somebody's protecting and watching over me. That's what a shepherd does. Hey, God, you've you have revealed yourself as Yahweh Roy. I need you to see me that I need to see you that way this week. God, I need you to reveal yourself that way to be be Yahweh Roy in my life this week. How about Yahweh Tzgenu? This refers to the Lord is my righteousness. What a powerful name. What a powerful name for those who are weighed down with the guilt of sin. For those who have just messed things up so bad and can't possibly believe that God could love them, that God could accept them, they are revealed the name of God. It is Yahweh Tzgenu. The Lord is my righteousness. I, I can't, I don't make myself right with God. God makes my righteousness possible. He makes a way for me to be in right standing with him. Ah, oh, when you're feeling burdened, when you need to confess that sin, you're, you're praying to Yahweh Skidnu. The Lord is my righteousness. Wonderful compound names that come from that word Yahweh. That word Adonai. One of his nicknames there, again, I don't like that quite that word, but Adonai comes as a derivative of Yahweh. That name is used often in a slave and owner relationship, a master and a slave. I think that's an important name for us to know. I think that's an important name for us to use in our prayer time. And here's why, because if you're like me, you, you have a tendency every now and then to enter your prayer time and act as if it's God who's reporting for duty. God, here's what I need you to do today. Here's what I need you to fix. Here's what I need you to change. And while you're doing that, make me happy. Now, folks, last I checked, that's not the way the slave-master relationship works. God's not reporting to us for the agenda of the day. Now, I, I don't want to be confusing here. It is God who invites us into prayer. It, it's God who invites us to bring our wants, our desires, our hurts, and, and the things we want him to change. But folks, as we enter that time of prayer, as we enter that opportunity, we do well to remember. God's not reporting for duty. I am. 
God's not here to get an agenda and a priority list for the day, for the week. I should be here to get an agenda for the week, agenda for the day and the priorities. He is Adonai, the master, the owner, the one who has dominion over all. Now, as we move out of these these Hebrew names and into the New Testament, we get a a bunch of names that have a a close connection in the Greek language. That that first name, Theos, Theos, we've introduced. That's where we get our word theology. Theos is the equivalent to Elohim. It's the general name of God. We get the name Kurios. That means Lord. That name is equivalent and used the same way in Greek as Adonai is in Hebrew. It means he is the master. That name is used 717 times of Jesus in the New Testament. John gives us a great confession of faith near the end of his gospel when when Thomas sees the resurrected Jesus Christ and he looks at Jesus and he says, you are my Kurios, my Lord, and my Theos, my God. To link Adonai with Theos would be equivalent to, uh, in Hebrew, linking uh, Adonai or Kurios with Theos. In the Hebrew, it would be the same as linking Adonai and Elohim. That's Yahweh. Folks, the great confession of the Jewish faith, the great confession of the Christian faith is Jesus of Nazareth. He is Yahweh, the one true and living God. And of course, we often most often refer to Jesus as Jesus or Christ or Jesus Christ. Christ is Christos. It's the equivalent to the Hebrew word Messiah. It means he is the anointed one. He is the promised one. You know, folks, in the name Christ, you know what God is saying? He's saying yes. The answer to every one of your prayers, the fulfillment of every one of his promises is yes. My answer to you is yes in Christos in Christ the answer is yes and then there's Jesus that's the Greek name that, that that's a as a Greek word Jesus the Hebrew equivalent is Yeshua which we pronounce Joshua Jesus and Joshua those are that's a similar name Yeshua and the name means salvation you remember when Gabriel met Mary that night and said you're going to conceive a son by the Holy Spirit and you will name him Yeshua Joshua Jesus, the name means salvation, for he will what? Save people. You know what Jesus is? He's a lifeguard. And he rescues the drowning. And we are all drowning in sin and death. And he comes as a rescuer, as a savior, as a lifeguard to pluck us out of that. One last name. It's not on here. One last title. Father. Father. You know, that actually is a change from the Old Testament to the New Testament. In the Old Testament, God is referred to as Father only 15 times. Think how big the Old Testament is. Think how many years, 13, 1400 years that covers. Only 15 times is He referred to as Father. And in all 15 times, it's Father of the nation. Father of a mass, the the producer, the originator of this nation. In the New Testament, though, he is introduced to us as father 245 times. And it is Jesus by his blood that brings us into a relationship where we can now approach God, Yahweh, 
Adonai, Elohim, the strong one on the mountain, that we can approach him as our father. And, and not, just, not just father of all believers, father of Christianity, but Jesus says, call him Abba. Call him Daddy. You see the intimacy, the closeness of the relationship that blood buys for us, that blood makes available to us, that Jesus brings to us. Folks, use and study and know the names of God. As I said last week about the attributes, you do your own life well to make this the pursuit of your heart and mind to know God and how He has revealed Himself. I've given you one book recommendation this week. It's a short, small book, The Names of God by Ken Hemphill. Each chapter, a little devotional, a little study on that particular name of God. Folks, God gave you these names because your life needs them. How many of you have gone through a large part of your Christian life and never used any of these names? That's like carrying around a million dollars and not realizing it's in that little secret pocket that, you know, the little tiny one right there. Had it all the time and didn't even know. Here's your homework assignment this week. Go to this list. Pick out two names that represent a need in your life. Oh, we all got a need in our life right now, don't we? God, I'm scared. I'm a little nervous. Not sure, not sure how this is going to work out. I, I need to see you as Yahweh Roy. I need to know you see. I need to know you care. Pick out two names that, that represent a need in your life. And then pick out two other names that you're just going to use to praise God. Lord, I praise you. You're the, the most high. You're El Elyon. There's nothing bigger, nothing higher, nothing grander, nothing greater in my life than El Elyon. Pick out two names to use in prayer. Pick out two names to praise him with as you go through this week. Folks, the name of the Lord, it is a strong tower. That's where we run. That's where we're safe. Let's pray. Father, help us to know your names. Help us to know their power, their comfort, their strength, their healing. God, help us to know your names because you are so absolutely always worthy of of our praise. And Lord, I, I know, I know my praise sometimes gets redundant. I, I kind of say the same thing over and over and over. And yet you've introduced to me a wealth of names that show me different aspects of you and different ways to know you and to praise you. Oh God, I want to know and experience and take advantage of all that you have for me. Father, in this moment, I thank you for the name of Jesus, the name by which I am saved, the name by which I can call you daddy. And it's in that name, Jesus, that I pray. Amen.